This evening, our scriptural passages will come from that famous Psalm of David, Psalm 51, as our Old Testament reading and our New Testament reading this evening will come from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. So Psalm 51 and Mark 2, verses 1 through 17. But before we go to the word, let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening and we pray for your Holy Spirit. We pray that he would illuminate us to your word. Lord, we acknowledge that we are fallen men and we on our own cannot understand these words. It is only through the power of your Holy Spirit that illuminates our hearts to your words. We pray, Lord, that you would show us Christ in the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross here today. Lord, we bring all these things to you in Christ's name alone. Amen. Psalm 51, and I'll read the entirety of the psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or would I give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And then our New Testament passage this evening will come to us from Mark chapter 2. And I'll read the first 17 verses, and this is the text for this evening's sermon. So Mark chapter 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many gathered together so that they were, there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. 
And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all. So they were amazed and glorified God, saying, We've never seen, saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and the crowd was continuing, was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for they were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. May God add blessing to his most holy and inerrant word. So the last time I was here at, uh, I think just before Christmas in 2019, uh, the passage I was looking at was from Mark 1, and that got me thinking, and that turned into a small four-part series from the Gospel of Mark. So this is the second part of this four-part series on Jesus' earthly mission, in which I'm looking at from the Gospel of Mark. This series is looking at this mission using the five W's and H, the who, what, where, when, why, and how. The aim of this short series is to show clearly that Jesus had a clear mission. Jesus was not just sent from God to be a prophet, to bring God's word, although he does do that. He was not just sent to heal people of their ailments, although he does do that too. Jesus was not only sent to show the power of God, which he does do through many miracles. Jesus was not only sent to comfort, but he was sent and he came willingly to accomplish a task. And that task is to redeem a people for himself. In the first sermon, we looked at the first 15 verses of Mark chapter 1, and we looked at the who in the five W's. In these verses, we learn that Mark is proving three very important things that are necessary in order for Jesus to be a sufficient Savior, a qualified Savior to accomplish this mission. Mark tells us that Jesus came exactly how he said he would in the Scriptures. Secondly, Mark tells us that Jesus is both God and man, 
Man, because man has to take the punishment for man's sin. And God, because only God could live a perfect life of obedience. Through Jesus' baptism, we see that Jesus is associating himself with man's sin and the glory of the Trinity as they are all in agreement, approving of the task that Jesus was embarking on. Thirdly, we see that Jesus is the second Adam. He accomplished what the first Adam could not do. Jesus was tempted severely in the wilderness for 40 days, and he did not sin through this temptation. Therefore, becoming man's new federal head, all man fell with Adam and became corrupted in his sin. When Christ accomplished what Adam could not, which was to live a perfect life of obedience, Jesus now represents all those who are associated with Christ and are covered with his righteousness. However, this is not the end of the story. If Jesus only had to do these three things, then the gospel would be essentially over. That would be all that we would have to know. But there's more. There has to be. God is a just God. God will not tolerate sin. He cannot overlook it. He cannot look the other way. In Genesis 2.17, God tells Adam that the result of sin, the result of breaking God's covenant, his commandments is death. And due to man's sin, we're wholly corrupted in our nature, in our natural state. Our mind, will, and affections are completely tainted. And in our natural state, all we can do is sin. Jesus becoming the new Adam is only part of the solution. There's still sin in every single one of us that must be punished. And that punishment is death. So what is next? What's next in Christ's mission? What has Christ come to do? This sermon tackles the next two W's and the six W's, which is the what and the why of Jesus' mission. What did Jesus come to earth to do And why did he come to do it? I'll be looking at verses 1 through 17 of chapter 2 of Mark at a relatively high level today in order to focus on Christ's mission. I'd like to look with you at these verses in two points just to keep things simple. So firstly, verses 1 through 12, what did Jesus come to do? And secondly, from verses 13 through 17, Why did Jesus come? So firstly, verses 1 through 12, what did Jesus come to do? As I have mentioned in the last sermon, Mark is telling an amazing story, and embedded in this story is Mark's arguments for what Jesus is doing. The first sermon in this series looked at the who, who Christ is, and how he is completely sufficient to do this task. Today we skip over a few verses, not because they're unimportant, but because in this short series we're looking at the basics, the essential components of Christ's mission. So what did Jesus come to do? The what question of this series. Mark does not waste any time getting into this very important question. What exactly has Jesus come to do? Mark starts off by telling us that Jesus has returned home. Capernaum, which, is, which was 32 kilometers northeast of Nazareth. There's some question to whether this is now where his mother and siblings now live or if it's Peter's home. Regardless, 
This is a place where Jesus has come to call home. The part we skipped over in the latter portion of chapter one is that Jesus has been embarking on his ministry, calling his first disciples, healing and preaching throughout the countryside. Jesus' fame, if you want to call it that, is spreading. Jesus at this point has become popular. People are seeing and hearing amazing things when they're around Jesus. I believe Jesus would have the very similar effect today. It is funny how the human condition does not really change. We see the rise and fall of many popular people and many people just get caught up in the moment. They get caught up in the excitement. They feel energized by the group and what they're seeing and what they're hearing. And that's what's going on right now. There is a mass of people following Jesus around to witness his miracles, to have their ears tickled with sermons. There's a lot of buzz going on. So much so that this group follows Jesus to his home. There seems to be no respect for his personal time with his family. However, because Jesus is compassionate, he never turns the crowds away and he's teaching them from his house. I'm not sure how large a house would be in Capernaum at this time. It was probably not enormous. But we're told that this house is packed. Standing room only. There was no room for anyone to get in or get out. There was not even room at the door. You could imagine people spilling out into the streets, just straining to hear. Now we're told of four men carrying a paralytic man, and they want to get to Jesus. However, there's something very special about these men. They had to get to Jesus at all costs. They were not taking no for an answer. They were going. They had to get to Jesus. As you read this narrative, you get the sense that these five men are different from the others in the crowd. These men were driven. There was a passion The others simply wanted to hear wonderful preaching and see miracles, but these men knew that Jesus was more. At first glance, we might be tempted to think that these men were just here to have their friend healed. But Jesus, who sees into our hearts, knows differently. These men climb up on the roof and they literally rip open a hole and lower their paralytic friend down. You could almost picture the scene as if you were there. Jesus is preaching, and you can hear men climbing over the roof. Most likely a flat mud roof. Then in the dimly lit house, dust and mud chips start dropping from the ceiling. You see a small hole of light passing through into the murky room. Then larger, then larger, The sun is now shining through. Then the sun is silhouetted as the four four able men lower their paralytic friend through the hole. Jesus sees the paralytic man, but says something unexpected. Verse 5 says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I think we tend to read this verse too quickly. At least I have. This verse is like a bombshell being dropped off into this room. 
What did Jesus just say? Son, your sins are forgiven? What just happened here? Jesus up to this point has been healing and preaching, but now he's claiming to forgive sins. I can just imagine you could hear a pin drop. You could almost hear the eerie silence and Jesus is reading the scribes' hearts. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In five words, son, your sins are forgiven. Everything changed. I mean everything. Jesus has just claimed to be God. Jesus just claimed that he had the ability to forgive sins. This very moment is where the hatred of Christians start. You see, people did not have a problem with Jesus' healing. They did not have a problem with his preaching. People have a problem with Jesus being God and being the only way for the forgiveness of sins. This is the what of Jesus' mission, right here embedded in Mark 2.5. Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus has come to forgive sins. This is the whole reason Jesus has come. This is earth-shattering. To the scribes, the way of salvation was to follow the law perfectly, And being justified was not something you could know here on earth. Only if your good works outweighed the bad. And this judgment was only to be made in heaven. This was their whole world. This shattered everything they believed in. They had the way of salvation figured out. Or so they thought. But these men, these men drop a paralytic through the roof, and suddenly with no works, no rules, this man Jesus is claiming to forgive this man's sin. This is impossible. What happens makes me stand in awe. I'm awestruck in the most wonderful way. I can just imagine the people in this little room all those years ago. Once Jesus sees the hearts of the scribes and their unbelief, he asks a simple question. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? For years, I've been interpreting the question backwards. I was looking at the question from the wrong perspective. I always thought, well, of course, the harder thing to say is your sins are forgiven, because only God can do that. But that is not the perspective that Jesus is asking this question. He's asking it from the human perspective. Sure, you could say that your sins are forgiven. How would we ever know that you did it or not? It would be hearsay. So Jesus is putting it in human terms for us. The harder command would be to say, get up and walk. Because for us to believe it, we would have to see the physical proof. So then, so Jesus is saying from the man's perspective, I will do the harder. Verse 10, Jesus says the following, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed 
and went out before them all. Jesus heals that man physically to demonstrate with a physical sign that he also forgave that man's sin. To be in that room right then. They were amazed. They've never seen anything like this before. And as I have said, this changes everything. Jesus has proclaimed to this small group in this house in Capernaum about 2,000 years ago that he is God and he is here to save sinners. However, not just any sinners. Jesus did not hold out his hand and forgive, forgave everyone in the room that day. He forgave the man who came to him in faith. Faith that Jesus could save him. We also learn that it was not only the paralytic, but the men who brought him that had faith. Do not ever let the awe wonder of this moment grow dim to you. This is as much for that man who laid paralyzed on that stretcher as it is for us today. Christ who came exactly as he said he would hundreds of years previous. Christ who is both God and man, who knew and who is the new and perfect and second Adam has come to save sinners. What did Jesus come to do? He came to save sinners. The application of the what, which is to save sinners, comes to us in the next question of why, which is the second point today. Verses 13 through 17. Why did Jesus come? So the next question in our study of Christ's mission is to look at the why. So far we looked at who Christ is and why he's sufficient. And the what is he came, what, what he came to do and that was to save sinners. The next question of why. Why does Christ have to save sinners? The next few verses gives us Details that the scene has changed. Jesus is now away from his house and is out for a walk along the sea. Capernaum is a town along the Sea of Galilee. And as we notice, the crowd is still with him, following Jesus wherever he goes. I imagine this must have been tiring at times. Every once in a while, you hear of a movie star or musician who just does not want to leave their house because people would not leave them alone when they go out in public. But Jesus is not like you and me. He's compassionate, and he's walking along the lake, and he's teaching the people. As Jesus is on his walk, he comes across Levi, who is also called Matthew. Levi is a tax collector. He collects taxes for the Romans. Many Jews would see Levi as a traitor. And because of this, many of Levi's friends would be from the outer edge of Jewish society. People that would be classified as sinners by the Pharisees. Jesus calls Levi as a disciple. Follow me. And right there and then, Levi just leaves his tax booth right there, then and there, forever. Levi then hosted a meal for Jesus, and many of Levi's friends were there, these sinners. 
Well, this disgusts the Pharisees, and they complain to Jesus' disciple. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus overhears this and says the following. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I still marvel when I read Jesus' quotes This quote is so dense with meaning. You have to turn it over and over again to get all the details out of it. At first glance, you could, the statement could almost be taken as a compliment to the Pharisees. The Pharisees could first understand that Jesus is complimenting them on being righteous and that he is here to evangelize to the sinners because they need it. Whereas the righteous are good with God, they don't need Jesus as bad. However, if the Pharisees begin to think this over a little more, they might become a little offended. Jesus is basically telling them that this is what they should be doing. How can you heal the sick if you do not get close to them or teach them or work with them? The Pharisees are the religious leaders. And they're just expecting that people would understand that they're sick and clean themselves up and become more like them. Follow the rules, and they could be right with God too. And let's just say the Pharisees got that far. And if the Pharisees remembered their scriptures, which they claimed to know very well, they would have realized they've been severely rebuked. Psalm 53, verses 2 and 3 says, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they become corrupt. There is no one that does good, not even one. Or even they could turn to Psalm 14, 1 that says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none that does good. So So is Jesus saying there are righteous and he is just evangelizing to a few sick people that should be in the group? No. This is a massive rebuke to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees would have known it by knowing their scriptures as the ones that I've just read. There are no righteous. So if there is no righteous, then all men are sinners who need healing. So what does Jesus exactly mean from his statement Those who are well have no need of a physician. I came not to call the righteous. Jesus has come to forgive and save those who realize by grace of God effectually calling them through the word and spirit that they are sinners and that they need a savior. As Reformed Christians, we might at times get excited and jump up and down and say, see, Another passage on election. And this is true. It is another reminder that God is sovereign over all things and he enlightens those whom he will to see that they need a savior. However, I must caution you, this is not a passage to sit back and say, if God who elects and enables men to see they're sinners, that we do not need to do anything. We must see this quote as a rebuke against that as well. Jesus is outspreading his gospel message to all. 
knowing that some of the Pharisees have a hard heart, and many of those sinners sitting around Levi's table have a hard heart, but he nonetheless shares his message of saving sinners to them all. So here we have a wonderful application of the why, why Christ came willingly to forgive sins. Why? Because we're all sinners. Every last one of us is a sinner. We have sinned in Adam's first sin. We are all affected and tainted by it without God stirring our hearts and arousing us to the fact that we are sinners, we would remain in that sin. We are like those Pharisees who cannot see ourselves as sinners that need saving. We are drowning and we don't even know it. Our Savior is offering drowning men a lifeline and yet we say, I don't know what you're talking about. The sinners are over there. No, I'm doing fine. The why Christ came is that Jesus is redeeming a people for himself. In Titus 2.14 it says, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Even though man has sinned, he has chosen some to be with him as his people forever. This is why He's come to forgive sins. It is out of God's free grace that he's doing this work. God didn't have to. He didn't need to. But he wanted to. He wanted to pay the penalty of those who call him Lord. Today, we are looking at the what was Jesus' mission and the why of Jesus' mission. It is our sin that separates us from God, from having communion with him, our creator. Out of God's infinite mercy, he sent his son to forgive the sins of his people. We have seen that only those who have been shown their sin can see that they're sick. Those who are sick are those who seek a savior and to save them from their sickness. If today you're sitting here and you have not reached out for the physician, why not? What is stopping you? Does your sin overwhelm you? In that house many years ago, Jesus proclaimed loudly that he came to forgive sins and that he has the power to do so. When you come to him in faith, that he can do it. Pray to God that he would give you the faith just to come. The crowd of witnesses that day saw Jesus make that declaration to that paralytic that his sins were forgiven. Then he demonstrated powerfully that he is able to do this task. To prove that he is God, he sent that man home walking, not only with fixed legs, but with a redeemed soul. You must understand that we are all Sinners. Not one of us has done good, not even one. Today, if you're here and you're glancing over at the other pew and thinking, this is a great sermon for him or her, or I wish that so and so was here today to hear the sermon, they could surely use it. 
I need you to halt in your tracks. Trust me, I'm a sinner too. And I remember sitting in the pew thinking the same thing on occasion. We are all sinners. We all need the forgiveness that Christ is offering. As soon as you think that so-and-so needs to hear this in this moment, we become like those Pharisees. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This message is for everyone, even myself. I'm not righteous compared to the drug dealer down the street. I'm not righteous compared to the adulterer. I'm not righteous because I send my children to Christian school or homeschool. We're all sinners. We're all sick. And if we do not see ourselves as sick in the need of a savior, then we then, are, then as Jesus puts it, the righteous. And he did not come for the righteous. And if you are among those Jesus is calling, if you're not among those Jesus is calling, then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is why, because we are all sick, because we are all sinners that Jesus came. He could not find one single righteous man on earth. That is why he came to save sinners. That is why he became our new head. He became our righteousness. But only for those who realize that there's no righteousness in themselves. Today, search yourself. Examine yourself. If you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you, run to Jesus. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. Those men were unstoppable. They came to Jesus' home and they literally ripped the, a hole through the roof of the house to get to Jesus, the one who could save them. Do that. Run to Jesus, the only one that can save you, the one who has proclaimed that he has come to save sinners. Today, if the Pharisees' words, who could, forgave, who could forgive sins but God alone? Or why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners hit too close to home, run back to Christ. This is a free gift of grace which God bestows on who he wishes. Remember, Christ has not come for the righteous. It is his righteousness that we need. In ourselves, we do not have any. Pray for forgiveness. By looking at the what Christ has come to do, that is to save sinners, and look at, looking at the why has Christ come to save sinners is important. It humbles us. It is completely out of God's free grace that Jesus does this work. It also gives us wonderful assurance that this is the reason for Christ's coming. He's come to redeem a people. As we leave here today, contemplate the words of our Savior but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, today we thank you for your grace and your mercy. 
We are full of sin, and without you, all we can do is sin. But through your Holy Spirit, you illuminate us to see us for what we are, dirty, filthy sinners who are on the road to destruction. But in your infinite grace and mercy, you sent your Son to forgive sinners. You fix our broken souls. And now we praise you and bless you. Lord, help us to go forth here today to proclaim your name, to proclaim that you have sent your son to save sinners. Amen.